Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, today we're going to be digging into a different kind of speaking career. In a few minutes, we're going to be sharing a conversation that I had recently with Dan Martell, a SaaS expert, a media empire owner, an author, and a speaker. Dan's going to share the nitty gritty of his story, how he's built the empire that he runs today. In this conversation, he's also going to be digging into how he leverages different platforms as a way to spread his message and a story with the people that need it most. Also, we're going to explore the intention that Dan brings to sharing his story, how he frames his talks, and how he focused on learning the craft of communication to get reps in and become world-class at it. Dan also has a new book out that is a bestseller, is a must-read. I've, I've read it myself, highly recommend it. Uh, definitely check it out if you're a speaker looking to own your own time and create an empire in the way that Dan has. So if you are ready to live big, dream bigger, and push the limits of what you thought was possible, this episode is for you. So let's get right into it. Thanks for tuning in and uh, enjoy this conversation with Dan Martell. Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Uh, excited for this conversation. We're going to be chatting with Dan Martell, uh, who is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, uh, has a saying in a variety of different things, and speaking kind of fits in in uh, maybe a different way than a lot of guests that we've had before. And so excited to talk with him about that. So, Dan, thanks for joining us, man. Grant, it's an honor, man. I'm uh, I'm excited, and I, every time I do a podcast, I make a statement or a commitment, or I call my shot. Okay, and I want to I want to call this shot. I want this to be one of the most valuable, educational, and entertaining podcasts you've ever done. Which I know is a crazy tall order with the amount of guests you've had and the people you've had on here, but uh, that's the target. So let's let's see what we can do. Setting a high bar for both of us. We both got to bring our A game. So, well, first of all, once you kind of set some some context here for us of uh, all things Dan Martell, and more importantly, like how does how does speaking fit into your empire and what you're doing? Yeah, so I love a. I love the word empire. It's a subtitle in my book, you know. But my empire is different. Most people don't I, like. I define an empire a life of unlimited creation. You never have to retire from. So it makes it a little more approachable for some folks that that get you know, the, they get hives or the heebie-jeebies by using that word. Um, cause it sounds big, but, um, you know, my quick story, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. I build companies. I've always built companies predominantly in the software space. It's what people know me for. I've, uh, exited three software companies. I've invested in over frig. The number is way bigger than 60 because I'm also, I have, um, I've invested in funds where, um, yeah, but I mean, pretty much if you're in software as a service or SaaS is what it's called, there's a good chance you you know my name. I also have one of the largest uh, online followings for that space. YouTube, I have a hundred and some thousand subscribers and my podcasts and 
you know, I've got a new book that just came out, Wall Street Journal bestselling book called Buy Back Your Time on predominantly productivity and like leverage for entrepreneurs. Um, but, you know, I, I'm like the least likely person in the world to have ever growing up as a kid that anybody would have ever thought I'd have any success. Um, you know, long story short, I, you know, I grew up in a very chaotic home. Mom was an alcoholic. Dad wasn't there. Um, he was traveling. He was, you know, my parents were together as a, as a kid growing up, but traveling quite a bit for sales and um, ended up hanging out with the wrong people, getting into drugs, uh, became an addict. Almost took my life uh, at 16 in a high-speed chase with a handgun. I pulled it on the police. And luckily, uh, when I went to grab it, it got stuck. But, um, you know, that was the bottom. That was a bottom. There's been several along the years. But that was the beginning of of kind of clawing my way back into just even being like a not a non-productive member of society. And I uh, ended up in prison for quite a while and then released to a rehab center that saved my life and learned to code. And uh, at the end of that, which is a crazy story. I mean, 17, never touched a computer, came across this old 486 computer, yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I just followed the instructions and I got it to say, hello world. And that that changed my world. I mean, it uh, it set me on this path of personal development, I think through entrepreneurship, I think entrepreneurship is the ultimate form of personal development. And, and it just became my new addiction, right? I think most people that were addicts, when they, when they get sober, they, they replace it with something else. Hopefully it's something productive. And for me, it was writing code and building software products and programs. And, you know, the thing I'm most proud of is even to this day, I was just there a couple of weeks ago. I've, you know, multiple times a year, I go speak to the kids uh, that are at this facility. It's called Portage, New Brunswick in Canada. And, um, and just share that message. And it's, it's kind of my bigger why behind all the business stuff. But as the speaking pertains, like I've always looked at speaking and I would say this podcast is in the same vein. It's just platforms, right? Like there are people that have audiences of folks that listen or show up. And if you have the opportunity to share, uh, a message and a story that could hopefully transform somebody's life. I think it's your responsibility to do that. I take it very seriously. I had a a friend of mine, a speaker who told me once, he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, if you ever have the opportunity to get on the stage to communicate to other people, um, you better like bring your A game. Because he said, that is the highest honor ever. That's why I start these podcasts by by calling my shot because like I want to over deliver for people. So... I do uh, a bit of speaking because it's not my primary profession, right? Like it, it doesn't even make up like half a percent of my income. If I even look at it that way, most of my, um, my life uh, that I've created, it comes from my investments in, you know, software world. And, um, I almost look at choosing the speaking opportunities for me as a way to, um, just serve other people. So unless the audience for me are entrepreneurs, um, are at risk youth? The answer is pretty much no. Like I, I back in the day when I was trying to get better at speaking, I said yes to like some professional associations that were like a twelve minute drive from my house, and you know, like I'm there and it's like the nurses union and the teacher associate and like all these like professionals, which they're great people, I'm sure. It's just like in the grand scheme of my story and the things I teach, 
Um, I just think there's a huge disconnect. So like, it's awkward, you know, it's kind of like I go in there and I'm like ready to essentially rip people's futures apart because I challenge them to live a bigger life. And, um, yeah, I don't know if everybody wants to hear that message. Did you, did you, did you realize that early on? Like, meaning like when you had some of those initial invitations, uh, and you felt like you had a, a story to share, here's some, you know, obstacles that I've overcome. Uh, and I got invited to kind of these random hodgepodge type of events. Was that something that you just knew on the surface? Like, ah, this doesn't make sense, but it's an at bat. Or is it just like, I don't know until I experience it or what was kind of your philosophy at the time? Well, I, I just believe that no matter what we want to be great at in life, and I, I think people should choose to go pro, right? I think it was Stephen Pressfield wrote a great book about going pro. Um, and if you, like I said, if you have the honor and the privilege of getting on a stage, you should decide to be world-class at that, that, that craft and be, doing the reps is part of it. So um, I think what happened was, is at first it was like speaking be, was initially a thing for fundraising for the rehab center, the facility I went to. Um, and then it was to uh, groups of uh, foster parents. Cause I, I was a foster kid um, and um, other at risk youth. So I, I say, and that felt aligned and, and great, but then, you know um, you know, I had friends that were professional speakers and they knew my story and kind of the success I had and, and knew that it would be really inspiring. So they were like, Hey, I just finished speaking to this group. Do you want to speak? And I'd be like, yes. And my personal story from that point of view works, but you know, the thing I was interested in, and maybe that was just a misconnect between what I was passionate about versus what the audience needed. I was all like, you can follow your dreams and you should quit your job and you shouldn't listen to your parents. And you know, the world rewards courageous decisions and like, uh, all the, you know, like restructure your personal friend group and like very passionately talking about things that would, you know, really disrupt somebody's life if they actually took all that advice. And it would, didn't really land with like the government association, let's say. Right. Um, and it just energetically just didn't feel good for me. It's like, I, I don't need to speak. I want to be I wanted to become really great at um, communication. That's why I started my YouTube channel. That was like where I really got the reps. I mean, there's when you're speaking in front of a, you know, Grant, you probably can relate. Like if you're in front of an audience that has feedback, when you're in front of a camera by yourself, that's weird as hell. Like that's the weird. I remember the first time I ever did a video, I was like, I was more nervous doing that than anything else. Cause it's like, I don't know if, if I'm speaking too quick, there's just no feedback, right? There's nobody's eyes to look into. So um, yeah, that was pretty much a thing is I wanted to get the rep. So one of my buddies, Gare, he was, um, Gare Maxwell's his name. Some people may know is, you know, he's spoken around Vistage and tech and, you know, he's a prolific speaker. And I remember calling him about 14 years ago, I think. And I said, uh, Hey Gare, I want to, I want to be great at speaking. Like you are world-class, you know, and you inspire me. How do I, how do I do that? And he goes, do you, do you really want the answer? And I said, yeah, man, like I'm ready. I've got my, my notebook out. I'm going to take notes. Like got all, you know, new page gear speaking. I'm like ready to, what do you got? Is it like books, seminars? And he goes, always say yes. And I write it down and I'm like, underline it. Um, I don't like how, how does that work here? And he's like, it's like this, man. He said, most people um, have opportunities to speak all the time and they don't even realize it. And they, they punt. They say no. 
Uh, it could be, you know, toast at a wedding to, you know, everybody's saying something about somebody at a birthday party to uh, lunch and learn when you have Q&A. It literally doesn't matter. He said, anytime you have a chance to share anything, ask a question, be the first one to put your hand up. And I remember the next day I was at this co-working space in San Francisco, uh, just moved there. And the owner came up to me and he's like, hey, Dan, I'm not sure if you do this, but, you know, I'm. I heard you're pretty good at like marketing. Would you be cool doing a lunch and learn next week uh, for like speaker series? And normally I would say no. Normally I'd be like, hey man, I'm not that great at it. Uh, Bob down the hall is like, I know Bob, you should talk to him. He's got an agency on this. And I would have punted. I would and not because I didn't want to do it. I just would be like, hey, he's a better speaker on this topic. And as soon as he asked me, I said, absolutely. It'd be my honor. And I was like, whoa, okay. Wonder how many of those I've ever missed on, you know, like just such a, so, so simple, but it was, it was profound for me. And, and it kind of got me down this train of doing a lot of speaking. When you, you touched on earlier, you know, part of the, you know, the high and low of speaking is the live, uh, you know, high rope type type experience and feels like there's no net. And, you know, what if I forget what I'm supposed to say, or if I draw a blank or what if the, you know, the, uh, I tell a joke and the audience doesn't laugh or if they laugh when they're not supposed to, or whatever happens, like we have all, all these doubts and insecurities. So even going back to that moment when, you know, you get invited to, and the immediate default response is like, no, because I know someone who's better at this thing than me, but going back to what Gare said is like the way that you get better at speaking is the way that you get better at, at anything is that you do the thing and you just keep showing up time and time and time again. And so some of the best speakers in the world are not because they have some special charisma or talent or ability that nobody else has. It's just that they've been taking the craft very, very, very seriously. So even going back to that moment when you were invited to something, the doubt creeps in, but then you're like, no, no, I got to overcome that. Like walk us through a little bit more of that because there's plenty of speakers who are in that same spot of like, dang, I would love to be on stage. However, I know that I'm not going to be as good of a speaker as Dan or, or Gare or fill in the blank. Well, and, he, and here's the, the cool part about this grant is you can decide to, to put in like, so this is my philosophy. And I learned this through hearing about comedians. Okay. And um, I think it was Louis CK or one of these comedians that you know, when they do their specials, they, they kind of shoot them. They like work on the material sometimes two years, three years, four years. And then they do their special, which is they record it, sell it to Netflix, that kind of thing. And then, but it's, it's kind of well-baked. Right. And he says, I think it was an interview I was listening to where he was talking about most comedians will save their best stuff for last. And they do that because, you know, there's this recency bias with humans, you know, the, it's called primacy bias, which is like the first thing, the last thing and the middle, which is why most things are delivered in threes. It's part of our psychology. Um, they always save the best for last so they can end on a high. What Louis C.K. recommended is you start with your best. And his argument was this, which I thought was fascinating, is that we want to force ourselves to come up with new and better stuff. So if we save the best stuff for the last, then we're not really pushing ourselves. And I think that's what happens with a lot of speakers is, and I've seen this, they, they get on a kind of a keynote process, right? Like they, they hire a speaking coach, they outline a keynote, whatever it is. And they like have a core message and it's their thing. And, and I've seen some people, and this is how it used to be in, in the comedy world as well, where, you know, these old school, like probably Dangerfield and many others, they, they had this act and they did it, but they didn't switch it. And I think like, that's the one thing I did completely different 
not by design, but by default, just because I kept saying yes to speaking gigs that were so diverse, mm-hmm. right? Like I got, not only did I get reps, I got reps across different topics right. and, and, and for a long time grant, which I do not recommend every talk I did for probably five, six years were custom talks. Every talk. Why? Don't do that. Because I wanted, what's that? Don't do that. <laughs> I know. And, and, and I thought that's how you were supposed to do it because, um, I didn't know any better. And then I realized that you, but by doing that, the benefit I got was that I was practicing so much, Mm -hmm. right? So I was getting more reps. The downside of that is I never got great at any one thing. So like it's every time you talk, you're like, Oh, when I say it this way, this gets a laugh. It's like, I remember the first time I realized I should add a joke when I start my talk because I was speaking in Michigan and um, I, there was this weird scenario that happened at Starbucks. I don't, Oh yeah. I didn't have my money on me and they um, yeah, I was just talking because the weather was so bad. And I like went outside with like my tennis shoes and it's literally got six inches of slushy snow and I got a soaker and then I forgot my money and I had to go back. It was just a funny story, but it kind of got the crowd loosened up. So like now, every time I talk, I always ask myself, well, what's a weird thing that's happened to me in the last two days on the travel to this thing? How do I turn that into an opening story? Like a 30, 40 second kind of thing, just to kind of, you know, know where to start, open it with some laughter, give everybody a chance. Cause I think everybody, when they they're sitting in the audience and they're looking at a new speaker, they're asking themselves, is this guy nervous? Is this person nervous? Are they going to deliver some goods? You know, do I, do I like them? Am I going to like them? Um, but yeah, over the years, I just figured out a rhythm through the repetitions on how to give a good talk. And I mean, great. You probably teach this stuff and speakers know this, but like for me, it's know where you're going to start, know where you're going to end. Um, everything you should, you should start by earning the right. Like what have you done to earn the right to share these lessons? Ideally there's three, the three can be broken up into, if you're a professional speaker, I I consider myself professional now. Um, you know, I can do an hour per topic. I can do 45 minutes. I can do 25 minutes. I can do 15. Like that's what a professional speaker can do, right? They know how to adjust time. And for each one of those, there's always like the core message. There's the story, there's the, the metaphor, and then there's the call to action, right? And it, it's once you understand the format, it's actually pretty easy to go through life. And like, and what I love doing, man, is just, I, I, I call it like collecting beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Like I go through the world to find weird scenarios of things that happen that most people would just pass on. And I'm assuming comedians do the same thing. Most people would just ignore. And I'm like, oh, no, no, that's a lesson. That that weird scenario that happened to me this morning with my shaker where I didn't put the top on and I shook my thing and I just got, you know, green juice all over my white bathroom. Um, that's a good lesson in slowing down sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then you wrap it up into a story and then you test it out and it becomes part of your greatest hit. So I don't know. I just, I just, I find like, the skill of learning to speak has given me so much upside. I mean, so, you know, I've raised over 600 million with my clients myself, you know, in capital storytelling. I've hired the world's best people in all these different disciplines store and like had them quit their jobs to come work with me at my company. Storytelling um, built a very large social media presence. Storytelling, um, you know, influence people to, you know, join my movement, fundraising, et cetera, storytelling. So like, even if I never got paid to speak, the ROI of becoming great at that craft has paid for itself thousands of times over that I'm just lucky that I was in a position to study it, right? Right. Hire the best, study with the best, 
get the reps in, et cetera. I want to dig into that a little bit more because one thing you touched on earlier is that speaking, you know, makes up a very, very small percentage of the monetary gain that you get just in your own life. But speaking provides a lot of other, you know, non-tangible benefits. So of all the different things that you could do with your time, you're you're a very busy guy, you got your hand in a lot of things. Like why speaking? Because I, I think part of the challenge for speakers in general is oftentimes we do look at it as either I got a check or I didn't get a check and how big was that check? And that kind of determines what the ultimate ROI is. But there, again, there's a lot of benefits that, that go way beyond how much that check amount is, or if you even got a check. So with all the things that any entrepreneur could do, there's no shortage of things, there's no shortage of, of shiny object syndrome. Like why is speaking still such a priority for you? Yeah, here's why speaking is a very important part of my life for, for a lot of again, I'm, I'm maybe at a different stage than most, but I'll paint the framework for everybody. First off, at the highest level, it's it's the brand, right? The personal brand. What does Dan Martell mean in the marketplace? Right. And if you start with that frame, and I think LinkedIn definitely helped bring that to light in regards to a an important part, right? If you have a personal brand that precedes you out there in the world, meaning people hear your name and they go, I've heard of that person. And what do they think of that person, et cetera, right? It's kind of like your LinkedIn resume. It's, it's, it's whether, you know, if you manage that page and people come across you or you have it in your signature and you email somebody, um, sorry, something must've just fell outside my office, but, um, the show must go on. Uh, it's actually a great point. We acknowledge the crazy shit that happens in the room, but we get back to the business at hand, which is Sharon. Right. Um, so like to me, the personal brand is at the top, right? It's the most important um, component of why we do things. Then underneath that is really media. Okay. So for me, media is speaking, but recorded speaking talks, it's podcasts, it's internal meetings, it's coaching calls, it's capturing stuff, right? Content, messages, stories, lessons learned, um, you know, metaphors that go out to the world. So for me, my media world is all my social media profiles, right? It's LinkedIn, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's, you know, TikTok. I've got half a million on TikTok. I've never done a funny dance in a crop top. Very proud of myself for that. But if, if we think of media as kind of like, you know, there's a brand and there's a thought around the brand, then the media is kind of the distribution for the brand. Then speaking to me is just a component of monetizing the media, right? So that's why it's there. But what I, why I love it is I never do any speaking, including this podcast. Just so you know, I have three cameras on my desk. I've got one right there that's, that's pointing at me on an angle and I have... I record my day all day long for the most part, stuff that has content. And then I have a team that goes through it and they clip that stuff out. And that's what's used for my content, right? Sometimes I have my team here. They're in my office. They're recording me if I go. But anytime I go speaking, there is a person with me recording that. So some people that can't afford a full-time videographer, um, that's cool. You can just either uh, ask the organizer if they're going to have somebody there that you can make sure you coordinate with your your internal person to get that footage. Um, But I just, you know, and maybe because I think some people are always doing the same keynote all the time, maybe the content doesn't change that much, but, and they may not want that keynote out there. But for me, like I'm always adding at least one new story per talk so I can have something unique. I always record the Q and A afterwards with the audience members, right? I'll do a book signing. I'll stand around. There's a lot of content being produced from that. Very organic, very fun. Um, And, and then the, 
outside of the media, then out the speaking, the other areas that I monetize is like, I have a fund where I buy companies it's called Big Band Software. So $100 million fund, we buy software companies. So deal flow comes from that. I've got my SaaS Academy coaching company. So I've run the largest coaching organization for software CEOs. When I speak at the software events, ton of opportunities for that team show up there. I've got my elite coaching, which is the back end of my new book, which is um, a framework for helping you know entrepreneurs buy back their time and scale their companies. I mean, that is um, you know it's an eight figure a year company on the I guess on the back end of the speaking, but there's a way to do it. So I'm going to give everybody a super valuable tip now. And I don't know in the professional speaking world what the um, you know the code of conduct or kind of the the rules are against this, but I have a very organic way. I'll do it right now. So a lot of people read my book. They, um, they, you know, if you've read the book, Grant, there's a lot. Chapter six is all about like hiring an executive assistant, buying back your time, and how to set up the email structure, right? How to set up your meetings. I literally right before we started, right, Karen, I said one sec. I just got to finish up this thing with my assistant. That's our daily call we do, and there's a very structured format agenda item. Um. So uh, when people read the book, they all, they always want to know like, well, what does it look like inside your world? So if anybody wants to know how I run, you know, with my executive assistant, multiple eight figure companies uh, that really allows me to fund and, and, and just for the audience to know, I do have my own private plane. So I fly private. So it funds, funds my jet fuel, speak on stage, monetize and creates this really cool life of creating content uh, with my executive assistant. They can just go to Instagram, find me on Instagram, Dan Martell, Tuels Martell, and just message me the word EA, executive assistant, and I will send no opt-in, no nothing, direct link to my um, my internal uh, SOP, standard operating procedure, what I call playbooks, for managing my interactions with my executive assistant, our North Star principles, our travel structure, everything is in there. And I'll just give that to your audience. Now, Grant, I do that when I'm on stage, okay? I want to give you some behind-the-scenes stuff. When people find me on Instagram and they send me that message, I will send you the document, but then I have a team of people that are going to start a conversation with you. And if there's an opportunity for me to help you at a deeper level, they will present that opportunity. So all of a sudden, you know, I get paid you know, 50K, 100K to do a keynote on stage I'm teaching this framework. I offer some value, just like I did with your audience right now. People can find me on social media, so I build my audience. Because it's not even the audience you're in you know, or getting paid. It's you want to build relationships with these people. There's speaking opportunities, a ton of stuff that's going to come from that. And you can also, if you have some kind of way to create value for these people long-term, you can have a conversation with them over chat. I never do like my team doesn't do phone calls. This is literally conversations over chat, and that's a you know um, multiple eight figure company. So I just think there's opportunities all around us. I mean, some people monetize with courses. They have an email list. They create value. But I just I just have a very organic way of saying I'm gonna teach this thing. If you want this cool thing, just message me. I'll send it to you. And we do not gated. And then. From there, we start conversation. I just think so many speakers. I mean, I have friends; they're professional speakers, and they little. They, this is what they do: um, speaking. They get do the pre-call. They figure out what the content. They're going to customize it. They go to the event. They deliver their keynote. They don't do anything before or after. They literally like land, go to the hotel room, get ready, prep whatever they do, go do the keynote, go back to the hotel room, order in takeout or whatever, or for room service, and then fly out the next morning. Right. That's crazy to me. There, the, while you're in that city, there's podcasts you could have done in person. I do these all the time. I do podcast tours. 
Grant, I mean, I'm doing Phoenix. I've got three days in Phoenix. I've got 12 podcasts booked. Hmm. Is that crazy? Like 12 in person, major podcasts. Because I'm there for a speaking engagement, um, I extended it for an extra day on both ends. And now not only am I going to create a bunch of content, I'm on the podcast, I'm getting paid to speak. I'm going to do some, some opportunities to build relationships with the audience, add some value if I can, monetize. And it's all just part of the, the media empire and speaking is just one of them. And I just think that's the way I think about it is brand first. What do you want to be known for long-term? Play the long game. Media as like the distribution of your message and who you are. And then speaking as a way to monetize. But in doing that, there's ways to support the rest of the empire along with it. I want to go back to uh, kind of connect a couple dots of a couple things you've mentioned here. So one was you talked about how, um, you know, when you are, are, are speaking live, you're getting that real time immediate feedback. People either they're, they're nodding, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're taking notes, they're paying attention or they're not. And so you get that immediate feedback. Whenever you're presenting something on social, you lose a lot of that. And it's you kind of talking into the ether. You have no idea what it's like on the other end, on the receiving end of that. So put a pin on that. Then you also mentioned the um, having it, we talk about having your radar up. So when things happen, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. The blender popped off or made a big mess here. I don't know. There's not an immediate like, aha, I know how I'm going outside my door. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know what the immediate thing is, but like, there's something there. And so I'm going yeah. to nurture that. I'm going to carry that. I, I had a friend say one time that whenever it comes to stories, like things taste better that have been marinated versus microwaved. And so taking a second, to, I'm something just hit the door in the middle of an interview and I'm just going to, I'm going to nurture that. Don't know where it's going. Make it become something, may become nothing, but I'm going to nurture that. So talk to us for a second here about how do you use social media to test out ideas that then may eventually make it on stage? Dude, now we're talking. Now we're getting into the behind the scenes. So, so a lot of people are going to hear this stuff and they're going to feel overwhelmed at like, I don't have the ability to do this. That sounds like a lot of moving parts. We don't start here. Okay. But I'm going to just show you behind the machine because that's what I committed to. So, um, the capture part, I literally have a notes file on my phone. Okay. And it's got, oh geez, it's, it's just ideas. It's, it's, it's like scrolls. Okay. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scroll. I mean, I'm not even halfway yet. So you're seeing this, right? Grant, like this yeah, is, I'm still going. These, these are just captured ideas. Like you said, I love, I wrote, dude, I literally just did it now. I'm going to write it after marinated, not microwave, right? Like that's a cool idea. What can I do with that? What's a story? So like, that's a great metaphor, but then I need to find the story that fits into that. Then I got to figure out what the call to action is and I got to kind of button it up a bit, but then I write it in there and I just play with things until I feel like I got something. Then I'll use them on social. So do I test it on social? A thousand percent. Now, what we do this next level is on TikTok, for example, there's a clips. If you search Dan Martell clips, we actually split test. So when you say like, do we test? Dan Martell clips is like a separate. And even on my YouTube, I have a Dan Martell clips on YouTube. The team will live. There's three videos. You can kind of see the purple shirt. These mm -hmm. are three separate uh, edits of the same content. So do we test? Yeah, we take the same message. So maybe I'll do a video or I'll, I'll do like a Monday morning mindset video or a YouTube video and I'll use that marinated versus microwave. But even in the content being published, that then becomes three separate edits that are tested on like a secondary account. The winner is evident and then the winner is what's posted on Instagram stories, YouTube shorts, et cetera. So 
Yeah, we we take this pretty seriously because the truth is, is that's a 10x difference. Literally, based on the edit, based on the opening hook, based on the, you know, the supporting uh, diagrams, et cetera, it could have a 10x difference. I mean, if anybody's ever listened to Mr. Beast, uh, if you don't know who he is, check him out, you know, arguably worth, you know, tens of billions already his personal brand biggest channel on YouTube. He's been on uh, my favorite interview probably was Rogan's, but he's also had quite a few others. He literally spends $20,000 on just the thumbnail of the YouTube video, right? Because it can have that big of a dramatic effect. I heard yesterday, my friend was telling me that um, he heard he changes his eye color in the thumbnail based on the emotion he wants to portray in the opening scene of the video, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's the level of sophistication this thing could get to when we think about testing. But for me, it's capture, use social media as a um, the repetitions, right? Podcasts as repetitions, coaching calls as repetitions. And then once I start to feel like there's this core message that keeps getting shared in the comments, if I'm doing a keynote virtually or on social, um, if it's stuff we put out, that's where I'll take that and I'll bring it into a keynote format that obviously has to be a lot more uh, refined and polished. Going back just for a quick uh, uh, sidebar here. Uh, you mentioned Mr. Beast. There's an interview I just listened to recently with uh, Colin and Samir that he did. It was like a two. Oh, that's a, that would have been my number. Yeah. Number two, where he really goes phenomenal, into that. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And so you want to talk about someone who's taking his craft incredibly seriously and more seriously than anybody else taking their craft seriously. Like it was incredibly well done. So again, side note, go check that out. Uh, one other thing uh, you mentioned the, the book, uh, buy back uh, your time. Uh, definitely a great resource. Hold your copy up. I've got my copy. Uh, so for speakers who want to buy back their time, first of all, kind of give us a, a quick over, overview and snapshot. What's the book about? Who's it for? And two, how can speakers best buy back their time? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. I appreciate it. The, the reason I wrote Buy Back Your Time is because I wanted to teach entrepreneurs how to build a business they don't grow to hate. And it doesn't mean big business. It could be podcasters, speakers, social media, editors, like logo designers. Like essentially... Most of my friends are entrepreneurs. Many of them get to this place where they're stuck. And I wanted, and I have over the years, taught them how to get unstuck, both from how they value their time, how they process their calendar, how they look at hiring, onboarding, training people, how they think about vision and alignment and strategy. And honestly, I wrote the book to buy back my own time, Grant. I mean, because like I love people so much that, you know, I would spend hour, two hours trying to teach people this stuff. But the truth is, is sometimes folks have to go through things at their own pace. You know, a friend of mine said it, you know, sometimes it's like the difference between marinated and being microwave. Come on, right? No, I'm just kidding. But um, we need to, we need to sit in the marination of the ideas. Like it was funny because I wrote the book and it came out. Wall Street Journal bestseller, number two. I would have been number one if it wasn't for uh, my buddy, James Clear, Atomic Habits, a behemoth of a book. Continues to just be a top seller. It's, it's, it's awesome to watch, but I, I texted him and I said, I'm coming for you, brother. And he just laughed. <laughs> I said, it, I'm not done yet. I'm still, I'm still working on it. But um, the idea is people need to go through the 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 process of, of the stories. Like the third chapter is called the five time assassins. Like I I hear it all right. Grant, I hear like, I I can't afford it. I hear the, nobody's going to do it as good as me. I hear the, ain't I supposed to be the one doing this kind of stuff? Um, you know, like, I don't know if I'm good at managing people, all the mindset stuff. So I literally wrote 25 names down 
These are all people I love, friends of mine. And I took individual scenarios, anonymized them and, and told their stories and how I've helped them over the years work through these different blockers. And then specifically very tactical on how to do the things that I teach. I mean, there's a reason why I take like, dude, I have an unlimited vacation. I think I do like 12 weeks of vacation a year, right? Um, people that follow me on social media, they always ask me, they're like, do you even work? And it's like something, literally somebody yesterday asked me that in my Q&A. They're like, how many hours a day do you work? It's just because I'm very intentional about my time, Right. Um, that's why like right before this conversation, I was working with Anne. I'm trying, trying to fit in. I have a, uh, heli trip, a snow biking trip, which if you don't know what that is, you should Google. It. It's the coolest thing in the world. So I do snow biking. And then, um, another trip with my wife, my, my personal event and another heli trip. I'm trying to fit in, in a three week period, right? Like I, I pretty much squeeze the juice out of every day. And that's why people come to me. They're like, how do you, have you created this empire at the same time, created this high quality of life? And the truth is, is it's in this book and it's for creatives. It's for solopreneurs. And it's also for folks that want to just get more out of their, their day in their life. Yeah. And like I said, I, I've, I've read the book, I've recommended the book. So I'd encourage uh, everyone to check that out. Uh, Dan, I know there's a lot more we could cover, but uh, we'll definitely point people towards the books. Uh, you got a lot on social that people can check out and, and consume. If people want to find out more about you, um, in addition to the book, social, where, where can we go? Yeah. Well, obviously Instagram is my favorite just because it's where we can have a conversation. So Instagram, Dan Martell, 2 Martell. Uh, if you want to learn more from me, like real tactical business strategy, et cetera, go to my YouTube. That's where I put all my how-to content. Uh, I've got 600 videos up there and it's, it's you know, I, I post every week. Um, and then check out the book at buybackyourtime.com where you can download the, um, the bonus resources, which is a lot of like the internal blueprints, the scripts, the processes that I teach in the book but just expanded, um, for those that want a little bit more, um, you know, structure and detailed that may not be represented in the book because the book reads like a best-selling book. It's more story-based, but the real, the real workbook is available on the website. Beautiful. Dan, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Hi, friend. Are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. If that's you, I'd encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash call. Again, thespeakerlab.com slash call and book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready to take that leap, I don't want you to hesitate and check checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one, and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.